I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Wiradjuri people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Orange is, uh, I think, probably because the reputation that Orange has and being a cool climate, it's attracting some incredibly good young talent into the area, and not only in wine, but also in food. And yeah, it's just exciting times. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Gerald Neff is the owner, winemaker, and viticulturist behind Patina Wines. His love of the vine has seen him pursue his dream across the globe. Patina is a family-owned estate and has been consistently producing world-class wines since inception. Hi, Gerald. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shante. Thank you for taking some time out of the vineyard. I know it's incredibly busy time at the moment for you in Orange. And you just jumped off the tractor, is that right? I did, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were actually known... um, amongst a lot of your peers as being somebody that's always on the go, uh, that's always fixing something or doing something with your hands. So it's pretty amazing to get you uh, to stop for a second and then have a chat with us. Yeah, no, I enjoy. I enjoy working, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do it very well. Gerald, I want to ask, do you have a first memory where you ever thought or thought about wine or the first moment that you ever remember kind of clocking it? Yeah. Yes. I um, very early on. So I we grew, I grew up in vineyards in California, and very early on, I had this dream that I could make some wine. So, as young as ten, I started smashing up grapes with the dream it would turn into wine. But uh, it didn't until I was sixteen when we made some wine in high school, and uh, that that got me all excited. So I went home, smashed up some grapes in some garbage bins and uh, watched it turn into wine. I kind of ushered it along, but didn't have the science. So uh, wasn't very impressed with the way it tasted, but I was very impressed with the process. I just thought this is fantastic. Love, love watching this evolution. Yeah, that's pretty amazing to have such an interest from so early on. You said, you, you know, from California, from the Central Valley, Lodi, what was it like growing Lodi's high? Sorry, my apologies. What was it like growing? What was your childhood like growing up there? Oh, it was really good. It, but a great, great place to grow up. The, uh, I, I would play amongst the vines. The, um, the, my first job was in, in vineyards. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, I don't know. The, 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 there was wineries all around us. So, so the smells of the winery in the autumn was always something that was very welcome. And, uh, yeah, just a beautiful place to grow up. Uh, the Central Valley is grows a lot of fruit trees and nuts and, and vineyards. Um, it, it uh, in fact, at the the state time that I planted my vineyard here, Gallo, who had uh, vineyards all around where I lived uh, and wineries as well. But when I planted my vineyard in 1999, they were. Uh, producing more wine than all of Australia. So it was, it was a pretty big area. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's a bit mammoth, isn't it, out there? Oh, it is. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, when you went to high school, it, there was quite a big emphasis on agriculture. Did that also help peak kind of your, um, you know, your imaginations of farming and, and, and having a future in that kind of agricultural scheme? Um. 
Yeah, I don't know if the school did. I, I always tried to get out of school whenever I could. Um, and it, uh, but yeah, I just, I just loved the outdoors, and anytime I could, I was outdoors and doing things and playing, working, whatever it may be. I just loved to be outdoors. So I think the I didn't really realize I don't think until till after high school that I was desperately wanting to be a farmer, and um, it my parents weren't farmers even though we lived in the country and uh, yeah it I I finally finagled it and managed to become a farmer and then uh, I would have I tried for quite some time to get for somebody to get me started in in um, growing grapes but um yeah couldn't find anybody so it ended up being irrigated uh agriculture that i broad acre field crops that i started started with first and um it was about six years um that 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 i uh, grew irrigated crops in california and um we where we were situated, um, and the Americans loving their big gas guzzling machines, um, they they a lot of people were moving from San Francisco and Sacramento into the area where we were farming. It's becoming more and more difficult to do the kind of farming we were doing. So, uh, yeah, then the opportunity came up to uh, come to Australia, and so we moved our farming operation over here. And um, it kind of all went from there. They, 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 I didn't, uh, well, I always had vineyards in the back of my mind. That wasn't what I was doing. And I was very involved in my other farming well, uh, operations. And it, um, it wasn't until we moved to Orange in 1996 for our kids' high schooling that I then saw the opportunity to, to buy a property and plant the vineyard. And it's all kind of evolved from there. Can you tell me what was the, the the kind of cultural shock like when you first moved from the States to Australia? What were your first impressions of Australians? <laughs> well, we, we, um, we landed, we were west of Moree, so we actually bought a irrigated uh, cattle property that we developed up into um, irrigated uh, farming and we grew cotton up there for about 20 years. Um, and I can still remember my, my wife was only 22. I was 26 when we, when we moved here and the, the property we bought had this old Queenslander on it, a big rambling house. And it was, it was 41 degrees on the day that we, we moved to Australia and, um, where there was no furniture, no refrigeration, no air conditioning, nothing. And I can remember just sitting down on the floor with my wife and, 22 years old looking at it and saying what have we done (laughs) but it um i think the the, there was a lot of things that you know we were used to doing in the states that didn't happen here um but um i think it was probably just the where we moved to was quite a bit behind in in modern facilities, and you know we 
when we'd go to town, people would ask us, have you got the power on or do you have the phone on? Um, and uh, then the other thing that we used to, I, we were used to doing in, in the States was, you know, I'd, I'd do a hard day's work on the farm, pretty well exhausted and just wanting a break. And so I'd come home and I'd ask my wife if she wanted to go out for pizza or something and we'd run into town. Well, town where we were living was 65 kilometers away in, in uh, west of Maury. So that didn't happen. And that was quite a shock. But but we actually, you know, we didn't know how we'd like the remoteness, remoteness but we actually loved it. And yeah, it, it's uh, it's got its own beauty. Well, I mean, you know, 26 for you at the time you immigrated and, and your wife, like you said, was 20. 26 and you were 20 no you were 26 she was 22 but I mean that that's you know a time when you're pretty adaptable and in your life isn't it you know and you're kind of you're able to roll with the punches a bit more maybe not as used to kind of the creature comforts as you, you know as you kind of get older and wiser yes I think we were and the um, we were doing what we were wanting to do I mean as I mentioned I always wanted to be a farmer so um yeah, you, you, can, you can really adapt when you're doing what you want to do. <laughs> so you purchased your property in Orange in 1999, but it actually took you another six years before you released any wine. Tell me, walk me through that kind of, those few years. Um, yeah, well, the, the, um, the first, um, first grapes that I fermented here in Australia were picked off of my brother-in-law's vineyard it was the first crop and he knew that I always had this in the back of my mind that I wanted to try winemaking again so he had uh, a couple hundred acres in uh, Mudgee and on his first first vintage he invited me to come around and pick 100 kilos of it and just try my hand at it and see if it really was something that I liked doing and of course I loved it I mean we I did the 100 kilos in the laundry and a couple of half barrels uh but just yeah the, it's just so fun the the watching the grapes evolve from wine to uh, from grapes to wine and uh the yeah it was just for me it was i i knew that knew from my previous experience when i was 16 making wine that i didn't have the science and so i just bought a little recipe book it was put out by the american society of amateur winemakers or something like that and um I just followed it by a recipe and you know I never really expected it to turn out to be anything great but amazingly just a month or two ago I've tasted I, I made a, a Shiraz and a Cab Sab and, and they're really good <laughs> um, so you know after after what nearly 25 years in, in bottle and just kind of forgetting them thinking they never turn out to anything yeah no they're they're, they're amazingly good um but then um, that confirmed to me that i wanted to be a winemaker and this was going to be the new direction of my life and so uh we bought this place uh, a little later later on so that was in that had been march april when i made that wine for my brother-in-law and then in october we this the place that we patina is situated at now in orange um came up for sale and so we we bought it um it just it had a lot of things going for it the slope uh, of the ground for 
frost drainage and the direction, the, the orientation, uh, proximity to orange, um, cool climate for, for growing the kind of grapes that I was wanting to grow. Um, yeah, just it ticked a lot of lot of boxes. So we bought it in October, and uh, the I was given some really good advice, and that was don't plant grapes this year, leave it till next year. You'll never get them in in time. <laughs> but but I've never really been one that heeds good advice very well. And uh, so I, I by by December I had the grapes all planted, and um, yeah, it, it it went quite well. They I had to, in order to get them in in time, I had to actually take a little bit of a risk. And uh, before the final, uh, the the sale was finalized, uh, the vendor allowed us to to start planting uh, the grapes and drilling a bore for water. Um, and uh, yeah, then over the next couple of years, I, I bought some grapes from local viticulturists or vineyardists, and um, yeah, just getting my hand in. I, I purchased Cabernet then. Um, the first year, uh, I think it was in 2000, I purchased a ton, and then uh, 2001, I purchased five tons, and then in 2002, uh, my reds um, from my vineyard, I was able to uh, harvest a crop. The the Chardonnay got hit by the first crop got hit by frost, so I wasn't able to harvest Chardonnay until year three. Um, but the yeah, it by the time my grapes came off, I had learned enough in winemaking to realize that what I was desperately needing was the science of the winemaking, and so I um, I enrolled in the Charles Sturt Walga Bachelor of Wine Science program, Distance Education, and uh, made me the absolute nerd in the class because I, I wanted to learn and I wanted to know everything. And I think quite a few of the other people wanted to go to the pub, so they got quite annoyed at all my questions. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved the, loved the study, loved learning about it. And... Uh, the uh, Chardonnay is something that really does well here in Orange. Uh, and I think that I think that Chardonnay from Orange could compete very well on the world level. Uh, I think it, we, we, everybody's going to make their own style of Chardonnay, of course, but uh, and it's going to reflect the terroir. but it just can orange consistently produces um really top-notch chardonnay and just as luck would have it my very first um chardonnay crop uh my very very first vintage won me a couple of trophies and one of them was the best white wine of the show here at orange the orange um wine show and yeah so that that was a pretty good way to kickstart my adventures um the um but yeah i think ever since then i've i've been known for my chardonnay and um, i now make i make two different styles i make a reserve chardonnay and i make a uh, an entry-level chardonnay and the only difference is is the barrels that are looking the best at the time the bottling decision is made and I I prefer to make all of my 
um, ferment my Chardonnay in oak barrels and uh, age it for, for 12 months in oak, oak barrels on its leaves. And then, uh, then take a look at it and see which barrels perform the best. They, they, they make it into the reserve grade. Interesting that you're when you bring up Chardonnay because not not only do I think it can it has Chardonnay from Orange can compete with the, some of the best Chardonnays in the world. I full wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Um, interestingly, your Chardonnay was the first wine I ever tried out of Orange, and uh, then your Cabernet. And I remember I was quite young and and. I wasn't quite sure how I felt about Chardonnay and I just, I, I didn't get it and I didn't understand. And, and so I remember trying that wine and then trying a Cabernet and really enjoying the Cabernet. And it's interesting now because, you know, I absolutely adore Chardonnay. I particularly adore your Chardonnays. Um, and so it's kind of come full circle, but tell me in terms of kind of um, Chardonnay from orange, you know, it's such a cool climate area. It has great acidity. Um, do you kind of favor a little bit of mallow, full mallow? Do you think that it perhaps doesn't need it depending on where you're situated? Um, no, I definitely favor it the, uh, for, for cool climate Chardonnay. And um, the, so I don't, I don't use numbers to determine when my Chardonnay has gone through metalactic fermentation. I use taste. And so whilst I like the, um, I like, I like a little bit of the character, the buttery character that can come through from Melo. I don't like anything dominating. And I guess that's, that's one reason I feel that Chardonnay from orange works so well, particularly the style that I make, because my Chardonnay is a bit old-fashioned, and and I like the artifacts that um, you can introduce as a as a winemaker, and, and not just simply having it be based on fruit. And the because it's a cool climate, and it's it's a, a crisper, lighter style Chardonnay. It can it can handle these winemaking artifacts without uh, becoming overbearing. Um, and it, it's still it's still a, a very fresh uh, wine, and um, yeah, I think the to, to me that's exciting because, like I say, I like I like playing with the wine. I like the introducing these things like oak and malolactic and leaves stirring, and 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 at the end of the day, we've still got a wine that's refreshing, but it's got all the compliments of these different characters now you say old-fashioned and i say more a stalwart of style because i don't think that old-fashioned is the right word because i just think that they are truly benchmarks of a style of chardonnay and um what i'm really glad of is that you have kind of stuck to your guns in producing the wines that you enjoy drinking um you're certainly not a winemaker that rolls with fads and trends. You really stick by your own guns. And I think you see that in your in each vintage. It's con so consistent. And um, I think that's a real strength. Yeah, well, it warms me cockles to hear you say that because I just, um, that's how I make wine. I make it to, to what I like. And if somebody wants to buy it, that's good. But I'm... I'm going to consistency consistently make what I like. Perfect. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about 
when you did start making wine in Orange, what did the production look like around you? Did you have other kind of um, wineries you kind of looked to and thought, you know, that's got, you know, some kind of style that I enjoy or perhaps that's going to be, you know, promising in the future? How did you feel about kind of what was around you at the time? Yeah, definitely. There, there's some, uh, you know, the, the wine industry was very young then. I mean, the the wine, the current wine industry in in Orange only dates back to plantings in '82, '83. That that area era, sorry. And uh, so, and there there wasn't. It was very small production uh, leading up to the mid to late '90s when there was a big big expansion of grape plantings right around the world and um but the the what was being produced here particularly chardonnay really stood out to me uh i think the 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 red blends uh the the bordeaux style red blends uh really stood out as well but um yeah they could i could really see the potential um and i've always um when I, when I taste wine, it's not really something. I suppose I have I, I, my memory is not real good as far as names are concerned. So so remembering what winery, particularly wine, came from, I'm not real good at. But I'm really good at tasting a wine and and dissecting it a bit and saying, well, I really like this aspect of it, and then trying to work out how I can incorporate that into. The wine that I'm I'm producing, and so that's, I guess, that's really what I'm looking for whenever I whenever I taste wines is kind of this selfish thing of how can I extract that <laughs> not extract but how can I incorporate that into my wine? <laughs> I love that. You also grafted a few varieties over some of the current um, varieties that you had. And then you end up planting Pinot in 2003 and Riesling in 2005. Is that because you saw the potential for those varieties or because you particularly like to drink them? No, they, they, just a little correction. They, that's the first Pinot and first Riesling that I produced, but I actually purchased those grapes. The, it wasn't until 2010 that I did the grafting. And uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to have control all the way through of the, the growing uh, to the harvest and to making the wine. So uh, I grafted some of the vines that uh, I had pre- pre- planted previously. So originally I planted Chardonnay, Cabernet, and Merlot. Um, and so I grafted uh, grafted out some of the Cabernet and Merlot to, to um, Pinot Noir and Riesling. And... Um, yeah, I, th- I think there, there are certainly varieties that do really well here in Orange. And, you know, Pinot is always a bit of a struggle. It's a winemaker's challenge. But we're really, we're, we're learning how it responds here in Orange. And we're, there's some really good Pinots coming out of Orange now. Um, I can remember in the early days of the, the wine shows that we'd often get begged out by the judges for our Pinots. But... But now it's it's a bit of a highlight but in the in the wine shows and um, the um, I think I mean it, as much as I love Cabernet um, I have just two years ago I've I've pulled out all of my Cabernet and planted more Chardonnay 
because the Cabernet doesn't always get ripe on my site. The, um, I, this, I'm on the eastern side of Orange, and we, the, the winds blow across the, the center of Australia, and then they come up the slopes towards orange and they lose a lot of their heat when they're they're coming up the slopes and being on the eastern side we get less heat over here than they do on the western side of orange so certainly people that can get cabernet there's people that can get cabernet ripe every year uh at the same elevation as I am, but they're not on this side of town. And so I just thought, well, it makes good sense. You know, my, my Chardonnay is selling faster than I can produce it. And um, the, the Cabernet doesn't always get ripe. And certainly these last, you know, since uh, 21, 22, and 23 this year, my Cabernet wouldn't have gotten ripe. So I, I definitely made the right decision to pull it out. But, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you hate doing these sorts of things. They're, they're kind of like your babies, but it, it, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. And <laughs> that's what I did. Well, yeah, good on you for being brave. And, and it is, you know, because in the good years when you can look back at some of those bottlings, which I know that you do have of, of previous years, and when they do get ripe, they're beautiful wines. But, um, yeah, I suppose we need to, to farm for the future, and, and I think that that's um, – a very sensible um, choice that you make. I want to talk a little bit about your reserve wines because um, you've always kind of made an effort to, you know, put wines down and allow them the time in the cellar. And it's not something that particularly family-run wineries or small operations can do. Um, tell me about the importance of, of aging your wines. Um, well, I, it's, I guess just from experience, I had learned previous to making wines that the wines that I like have a bit of age on them and um, probably to me the the most classic styles would be Cab Sav, um, Riesling, Chardonnay and probably Simeon. I mean some of those Hunter Simeons are just absolutely delicious when they age. Um, they, I don't think I think we're a bit too cool here to, to grow Simeon Simeon properly, but um, yeah, I just, I don't know, because I make wine and always intended to make wine because I wanted to make wine, and I wanted to always be showing people wines that I like, and oftentimes in young wines, not always, some some young wines are absolutely superb, but um, oftentimes I just see potential in young wines. I don't don't really see a wine that I particularly want to drink um, and yeah so it I think the and as a result of that you know, I, I never planted Sauvignon Blanc I grew Sauvignon I, I made Sauvignon Blanc while it was a real popular drink um, but I made a fume style I didn't make the the, the fresh uh, pungent style but um, I yeah I I always felt like the, the the varieties I was growing, I wanted them to be able to age really well and and uh, show off the characters that I particularly like. And as a result, I mean, I've got I've got a two thousand and three Merlot, which I didn't release for man, it was really probably about fifteen years after after I made it because it was just. Um, 
the it was just the tannins were just too sharp and the acid was too too sharp and you know it, I think maybe it's a little bit of being a uh, inexperienced winemaker at that time and perhaps picking the grapes before I should have but the result is is it's an absolutely delicious wine now it's it's almost basically it's all sold out but uh, it, I've just been selling it over the last couple of years um, but yeah I've always tried to make the wines that I think in a way that I think that they're going to look really good down the track I think yeah, and that foresight is not something that everybody has and I know that I myself am very grateful that you you do have that and that we're able to see some of these beauties that have been you know resting away and 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 changing and developing in complexities and beautiful aromatics and and you know wonderful palate length they're they're wonderful wines to see so thank you for doing that (laughs) uh you work a little bit with Naja and Steve at Shalu Wines they're young winemakers kind of at the top of their game how do you enjoy working with um the new kids on the block oh they're fantastic yeah I mean Nadia's got this just incredible palette just amazing I, I I think that's probably one thing that has always been a little bit lacking I, I mean Nadia's a, a a national wine judge she could easily be an international wine judge but um she she just yeah I, I mean I, I can taste a wine and 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 study it and and pick out things that I like and dislike, but she's, it's just, it's just right there for her. It's just, you know, the catalog she's got in her, in her mind and the ability to, um, identify things immediately. It just, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And so I, I, to to me that having them now a part of my team as well, um, is, yeah, just, I, I think it's just going to notch my wines up even further. And uh, Steve, Steve is just, you know, he's got a lot of, he's got a very good background in winemaking. And the thing that I noticed about Steve from the first time that I met, met him, he was working out at uh, Cumulus, Cumulus Wine west of Orange at the time. And uh, I had gone out there to have something done. I can't remember what it was uh, to one of my wines. It probably is probably an earth filter or something. I have no idea now what it was. But just just watching him work and his attention to detail, it just it really stuck in my mind. And, and I and I've always kind of harbored this that you know someday if um, if I'm ever needing some assistance and he's available, well I'm going to give him. A ring, um, and uh, and then I didn't actually meet Nadia until oh I met her I suppose just through through various things organization great organization things that we do around Orange, but didn't really get to knowing her and understanding her palate until uh, it was 2020 when the uh, we had the smoke tainted wines and um, we, we were doing some trials and she she was in the in the panel um, uh, 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 tasting these wines and determining how much smoke taint character was in it and yeah I really gained a respect for her there she and, and I saw this this pellet that she had and how incredible it was and um, so yeah, it was it was also okay. Well, let's keep an eye on this gal as well. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, so, so now working with them, you know, I, I was quite honored that they, they did uh, say that they, they could work with me on, on my wines. And um, yeah, I, I just really felt honored that they take me on and take, you know, because I, I, I feel like they, I, I feel like there's a couple, a young couple to watch. I think they're really, they're going to do some great things. But having said that, Orange is, um, I think, probably because the reputation that Orange has and being a cool climate, it's attracting some incredibly good young talent into the area, and not only in wine, but also in food. And yeah, it's just exciting times. It definitely is. There is so much happening in Orange, not just on the on the wine circuit, but lots of other beverages and the restaurants. It's, it, it's a beautiful place to visit. Um, and I agree with you, you know, uh, Nadia and Steve at Shalu Wines are doing wonderful things, but equally, are they, do they speak of um, such regard for you and working with you? I think they've said that you're the most patient person they've ever met. Um, so it's really lovely to see two, you know, totally different generations, someone who's worked in the region for so long like yourself and, and working together in harmony. It, it's really lovely to see. And I think both parties just benefit so, so much. So it's great. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot of experience I can share with them. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I want to ask a little bit just about the, in terms of your vineyards, have you made a lot of changes in the vineyards itself since you started or what you kind of put up you know, and, and did originally. Have you kind of stuck with that? Yeah, other, other than the grafting, I've pretty well stuck with what I've done originally. Um, the, I think we're, we're fairly fortunate here in Orange in that um, we get good, good rainfall and um, the soils are quite deep um, and we, we don't really need to irrigate except in the driest years. Um, and I think the, um, you know, you, you get down like in South Australia, Kunawara, the, uh, the Terrarossa soils and their claim to fame and then the great wines that they produce are, is the fact that they've only got a meter of soil sitting over the top of the limestone. We can't boast that, but what we've got is we've got the, um, We've got the high altitude and the increased UV light, which causes the the skins of the grape to thicken to resist the sunburn that they could get otherwise. And it's uh, the skins have the the um, the flavor of the of the grapes that comes from the skins, and so we get more intensity um, of the flavor just from the fact that we are high high altitude. And um, yeah, I think they, so again, I'm kind of skirting around your question, but no, I, I haven't really changed too much in the vineyard, but you know, it's a sort of thing that you're, you're always learning. Um, and um, you always adapt, adapt your practices to what you learn, but, that, but nothing, nothing major that I've changed. Well, it sounds like your instincts were pretty spot on to begin with, and uh, but it's always good to keep learning. I'd like to know, Gerald, if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Ooh. <laughs> well, I suppose I'm a winemaker. I'm supposed to say it'd be wine, but actually they, it, it isn't. And I'll, there's two real easy ones. And the first one would 
happy beer. Um, I love I love a good cold beer when after a hard day's work out in the sun. Um, and then the last one would be a Scotch-style whiskey. So those two are pretty simple. But then the one in the middle would be a wine. And I think it would have to be the style of Chardonnay that I am making. Um, just the, the classic, using your terms, I suppose, the classic uh, Chardonnay. Um, I just I just love drinking that style of wine, but it it would be a tough decision for me because I really love a, a uh, aged, nice velvety Cabernet or uh, Cabernet blend. And uh, so, yeah, I'll maybe, maybe just if I have to choose one, it would be the Chardonnay for for the, the middle drink. <laughs> Well, it gives me a little bit more insight into, you know, the, your palate and, and the other things you like to drink as well. And, you know, whiskey is definitely something that you can really peer down into and sit for a long time pondering. And I agree with you, beer after you've, you know, done some legwork on the days, it goes down a treat. Gerald, I've long been a fan of your wines. Thank you for introducing me to the Orange region and thank you for making the time. I know it is hard to, to stop you uh, and to get you to sit down for a little bit, especially in front of the computer, but I'm really, really grateful. I've long wanted to chat to you and uh, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome and thank you for taking the time to talk to me. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.